It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome, everyone, to the Islanders Never Say Die podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and with me here, as always, is our NHL analyst and expert, the grumpy old man. They say there's no shame to his game because he's always the same. That's me. And with us here, special guest, I would say, uh, you know, one of the best beat writers, the best Islanders beat writer there is. We've he's got one of those. Hold on. He's one of those boot-licking weasel <laughs> Islander media cartel people. No, he's not. He's one that fights the good fight, Grumpy. No, we got Stefan no, Rosner on the show with us here this evening. Um, then Stefan had spent, I guess, last year was his first full year on the beat. This year, he's got huge. He's got huge weight to carry on his shoulder. He's going to be writing for the Hockey News, NHL.com. He's got the podcast. I mean, Stefan does a little bit of everything. He's got the podcast, Hockey Night in NY. I, you know, first off, thank you out of the busy time that you've you know, in the large schedule that you've got for coming on to the show. How, how was the first year uh, on the beat there, Stefan? Oh, both of you, thank you for having me. Uh, it was incredible. Um, I can't say enough good things about the Islander staff who travels, the other media members. It's just, it's surreal. Again, growing up as an Islander fan, getting to cover the team and then going on the road and all the stuff that comes with that, seeing the players, but also just, again, going out to dinners and making new connections. That was the real cool part about it. Yeah, and 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 um and and a few other housekeeping items too. Um, if you're new, you don't know who Stefan is. Covers everything all New York Islanders. You can find him on a few different places, right? Some may popularly know him. And they follow him on Twitter. Um, again, this is the Twitter page. This is all linked in the description below. Um, again, you'll also see him covering the New York Islanders on the Hockey News and 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 also there for NHL.com. Um, you'll also be able to see him on the the hockey night NY that Twitter page as well. So that's, that's always the best place to find Stefan. And you're going to find all that in the links in the description below. Um, but a first busy year on the books there for Stefan. Now, now let me ask you, I know you said it was, it was well, a good. Have, also, you can find uh, Stefan at your local barbershop. I mean, that <laughs> he's got a fresh cut grump. That, I, that haircut's high and tight, my man. Oh yeah. You know, you know it. I had to look good for this. I understand. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't show off your haircut, but I'm just saying. Well, know. that's true. I don't have his thing. I couldn't pull off your haircut anymore either. So. And that's no. a fact. <laughs> Um, but, uh, first, first full year in the books, things obviously went well. Um, I always want to hear a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on the Islanders this last season. I mean, it was a year to where things kind of got bleak a little bit, you know, midway through the year and kind of, I'd say really before the deadline, I'd say things kind of looked bleak. And, you know, at the time period we, we made trades, we went ahead and add guys like Bo Horvat at a time period when we were without Matt Barzal. And, and, you know, we did make a heroic effort to make the postseason, and then, you know, got bounced in six, but, you know, this is a year I think where we had some, some extreme possible downs and, you know, we had a little bit of an up, but, you know, I wanted to kind of better understand w- what your thoughts were on the team this year. Yeah, it had it all, right? You had the ups and the downs. And I think it was different because there was no trots, right? And we know everything that happened with that. Lane Lambert's coming in as a rookie head coach with a veteran team that needs to, you know, just miss the playoffs. It's a lot of pressure on him. And I think early on, he tried to make this team more offensive. And I think for until December, the beginning of December, the Islanders were playing great offensively. I think they were averaging over three and a half goals per game, but they were allowing goals. And that was the biggest issue. I remember we spoke to Lou in Colorado in December. And he said, you know, I'll take the, the output offensively, but we have to clean up things in our own zone. And then once Adam Pellick went down, I think everything just unraveled. The, the defense, clearly he's the bread and butter of this team. The defensive structure isn't as strong when he's not there. And again, other guys like Noah Dobson couldn't pick up the weight that the hole that Pellick leaves behind. Then you had the Barzal injury. You had Palmieri out of the lineup twice for concussions. And then he eventually came back and really figured it out. So I think First half of the season, there was a lot of trial and error. And then injuries obviously forced five or six call-ups where we saw players make their NHL de- debut. And that's, that's a lot of players to make their NHL's debut. And I think that's the biggest reason why we saw Lugo bring in some depth this summer. Because, again, you put people in situations like William Dufour, for example, gets called up to play the Boston Bruins, the juggernaut historical team. Yeah. Plays eight minutes, one period. He's with Barzal, makes a couple mistakes, gets sent down. You know, if the Islanders had depth, NHL-ready depth, Dufour is not getting called up. Maybe other guys aren't either. And I think that was a real issue. But then again, second half, Palmieri comes back. Uh, Engvall comes aboard. That second line, that Brock Nelson line, carries this team to the playoffs. And in the playoffs, they were easily the Islanders' best line. And I think, again, having Horvath and Barzal together for six games, you showed you know, what the possibility of those two could be in a full year. But obviously that was cut short. Horvath did a lot of the good things defensively, but without Barzal, there was really nothing for him to do offensively. He could have scored, obviously, a ton more goals. It just there was no chemistry with his line mates. But, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway was that second line, that you call it the second line, whatever. But that nelson engvall Palmieri line is the, was dominant, and it's why Engvall's back. And I think a lot of your, you know, your what-ifs in the second half, like what if this happened? What if Palmieri was healthy the whole first half of the season? You know, if Pelic doesn't miss time, are the Islanders in a better spot? Now, I don't think the Islanders would have been better than a – top wildcard spot but will it take 82 games probably not because there was a lot of there's a lot of games too where you know they come out flat you know they lost those really bad teams and i think for the islanders when you look at how good the metro is and how many teams upgraded on paper we'll see if that worked out you know you you can't have that this year last year you could get away with it because those teams that were teetering on playoff spots like the penguins the capitals for a while you know they struggled just as much as when the islanders struggled in january and i think this year you know the Islanders have to take advantage of those teams still. You know, maybe Carlson makes a big difference. Who knows? But, you know, if the Islanders come out flat against those weaker teams again, they're going to find themselves in the same spot. So I think there's a lot to be positive. There's a lot of positives to look at this season. But if those negatives don't change, the slow starts, the power play, the Islanders are going to have a really hard time making the playoffs. 
They and had now, the same issues under Barry Trotz, though. Yeah. Where they come out flat to start games. And at some point in time, players got to look themselves in the, the mirror. I mean, you come out flat, there's only so much a coach can do. And I, I mean, it's a continuation. And I, I think the players need to look at themselves. And maybe Captain Average needs to look at himself in the mirror and uh, maybe get his leadership. But hey, guys, let's go out there and come up a little bit more fired up. And, yeah. still, and you know what? Physician, treat thyself, Captain Average, because I didn't see a whole lot of you last year. The only thing I want to disagree is you said the second line was great, which led us to the playoffs. Uh-uh, it was Ilya Sorokin. Without him, well, we I mean, I think that's the common – obviously, Sorokin had to play our part. But the offense, that was primarily that, that second line. But, yeah, yeah. Sorokin, without Sorokin, this team – I'm not saying they're a bottom team where they're fighting for Bedard, but they would, they would have missed. And, again, Varlamov was solid enough, but at the same time, you know, he was hurt. So I think, yeah, and a lot, uh, Sorokin did carry him to the playoffs, and I think that was a major issue is because they relied heavily on Sorokin too much. And I'm not going to say he burnt out because I, I think he's truly like – he's a superstar goaltender. But I think that there was a lot of weight on his shoulder late, especially after the deadline, when you could have gotten Varlamov. If you trusted Varlamov enough to keep him through the deadline and re-sign him, then you should trust him in big moments to play against tough competition. But instead, you know, Sorokin got all of that, all that pressure. And then obviously we saw it happen against Carolina game two. Definitely one of Sorokin's worst performances, and he'll talk about that. And that last goal, of course, to send the Islanders home. You know, that's that's a goal that can't go in, awkward angle, and then everyone wants to blame Sorokin, but the Islanders don't get a playoff chance if Sorokin's not Sorokin. That's that's the way I look at it. It's like the analogy of of uh, the bad news bears. You know, Kelly Leak. Does he get thrown out at home plate? You know, and they lose the, the championship, sure. But, you know, without Kelly Leak, they're not even in the playoffs. They're the worst team in the league, you know, and, and they've got no chance. They don't have any sort of success. So, you know, I, I never understood the blame that people tried to cast on him. Uh, you know, it's it was always kind of mind-boggling to me. Now, did you happen to see the, uh, the poll, I guess it was, that was gauging uh, fan confidence and confidence that yes. fans have confidence that NHL fans in general have a role in the league. And it was noticeable this year that we were at the bottom. I think we were the last yeah. the last team, at least regarding how much confidence the fan base has. And even other fans, just NHL fans in general have going into this year compared to last year. You know, what do you think is the reason as to why we see such a lot of, uh, or the lack of confidence or, or the thought process of the team won't be as good as it was last year, lack of confidence compared to last year? Well, I think for average NHL fans, even average Islander fans, but they look at this roster and they do the simple, it's the same team. Running back the same team that took 82 games, same issues, you didn't make any upgrades. Yeah, there's no faith in Lou because he couldn't go out and do what he had to do. And then if you're you know, a diet Islander fan or you're part of the media, when you look at, okay, I understand that argument. I really do. But, you know, you have a full year back of Horvat and Barzal. You have that second line Engvall's back. You have health. Again, I don't know if health will keep up, but the healthy Pelic, um, you know, so things, I, I think the Islanders will be better even if they just made the same moves. But again, it comes down to, you know, those, those same problems that we've had is the power play and the slow starts. Like I just said before, you can bring in whoever you want. You could bring in a superstar. Let's say they went and got to bring it he's not going to change the slow start and he might help the power play. But again, that's more of the people already here that that needs to be fixed. One or two players coming in aren't fixing those underlying issues. I guess in terms of trust with, with Lou is also people look at his past, what he left, you know, the devil's fans, despite him winning cups with the devils, he left that team in, in quote unquote turmoil financially. He goes to Toronto and they have some financial issues. Now people look and say, okay, 
Islanders have bad contracts, aging, uh, aging guys, bottom six guys getting paid too much, Lou's doing the same thing, so therefore there's no trust. Now, I'm not telling you to trust Lou or not. Quite frankly, my, your opinion doesn't matter or anyone's opinion, and Lou, quite frankly, doesn't care. That's how Lou operates. Like, he, he definitely reads into what fans say for sure, and the beat. He reads everything. But at the end of the day, he believes he's doing what's best, whether you agree or not. And so if someone wants to vote in, in a poll that they don't trust him, he, he doesn't. He's got the job. So management trusts him. And that's really all that matters for his job security. And like the, the one thing I say that could affect him or, or to force him maybe to, to take, I guess, the temperature of the room. Last year when we were struggling towards the middle of the season, man, oh, man, you know, even on weekend games, the, the UBS, right? Two years ago was the first year at UBS Arena. Pretty much sold out on a pretty consistent basis. Brand new arena. You're going to have a lot of people going there for the experience of, hey, we got to see it in the inaugural season. Uh, last year, we had time periods when we were struggling um, where, man, there were a lot of empty seats. And some, yeah. you know, albeit were definitely weeknight games. You're not expecting to sell those out all the time. But uh, I just wonder if we were to go through the same exact, let's say we go through troubles. Let's say the season, you know, gets derailed. I, I wonder how quickly that kind of perks the years of ownership, perks the years possibly of the general manager when people aren't going to games. Um, you know, that's when I feel like your job is truly in jeopardy when, you know, the, the people that pay you to, <laughs> to put oh, a profit sure. on the ice, you're not winning. Yeah, I mean, for last year, I think, Lou, again, the struggles that consisted were there before he made the trades is obviously on him building the team and it wasn't strong enough. And maybe the, whatever we, again, there was so much behind the scenes with the trot stuff. So they, they hire lane. I think if you look back, does Lou, should Lou have brought in a veteran head coach for a veteran group that needed to make the playoffs? I think so. Now a lot of the players credited lean back in January for getting the team. Hey, you know, we're struggling, but to get us there. So he got credit for that. And again, he made rookie mistakes, but I think there was a time there where, you don't, you can't afford rookie mistakes on a team that's a window if you believe their window's closing. I mean, if you're a young up and coming team, then you can bring a rookie head coach because he's going to learn with the team. But the Islanders' timetable isn't as long as, again, people may think. So I think that was an issue. But Lou went and made the moves he should have made. You know, Barzal goes down. He already got Horvat, which the Islanders needed. He went and got the best free agent available just a couple of months early. And I think locking him up with Smart, he liked what he saw. And then when Barzal went down, the Islanders needed speed. And he went and got Pierre Engvall, who he knew already from working in Toronto, and it worked out. And I'm not saying Engvall is a number, uh, a second-line player in the NHL or why it worked with Palmieri and Nelson, but it worked, and he brought him back. And I think, I think if you look at that and they let Engvall go and that Palmieri and Nelson doesn't work out or Engvall goes and shines somewhere else, he would have been pitching himself. So I think it was smart to bring him back. If the seats are empty, I think, I think if the season starts off very slow, I think Lane's in the hot seat for sure. And if the Islanders do miss the playoffs, I think Lou's job like, – I don't think Lou's job was ever really in jeopardy just because they had made the playoffs this past year anyway. Again, people – but I think if they miss again, missing in two of the last three years of a, of a brand-new building, then management, I think, has to be like, you know what? We kept giving you the benefit of the doubt, and, and we can't miss the playoffs two out of three years in a brand-new arena. That's just, that's just not going to work financially because they're going to keep raising ticket prices. People are going to get pissed off, and they can't really have that. And you're 81 years old. But I mean, listen, the one thing I will say about age, for sure, and you could say that maybe Lou is acting his age, is like, you know, Parising and Char are the best examples. Char was 45. He played to his age, right? Parise, 38, just turned 39. He played like a 28-year-old. So as long as you don't act your age, then you're good. Now, people could question Lou and being outdated, and that's, that's a fair argument if you think that he's behind with those things, which I definitely know you do. I do. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know. Again, you look at the moves that Lou made, and that's what you want any general manager. Those moves are what you want a general manager to make when a team's teetering. Again, 
go back to the moves he made in, in signing those bottom six guys to maybe high contracts, the Anders Lee deal, things like that. But I think if you look at last year as a whole, I think he nailed what he had to do again this summer. He wanted to go get a goal scorer and they didn't get that. But again, that that's a lot to do with that's a two way street. And again, it's his job to do that. But I think a lot of players wanted to take one year deals this off season because the cap's going up. So I think this is a great opportunity to see what the Islanders could do at the deadline if they're in it and they can maybe go get that sniper now at the deadline rather than have to wait till the summer and do that whole thing again. Uh, and I was about to say here, um, now, Lane, you we obviously get to watch him from the seats at the house. Yeah. You know, we don't have as close of a relationship or know kind of the inner workings or how to read the room necessarily. Maybe like you do there, having no, rela- we have no, re- no, we I, have no relationship. I, I, exactly, Lane. It's not like we're giving Lane shooting him a text message like, "Oh man, what'd you think about that?" Well, you know, obviously, you've got a much closer relationship than that. Um, now, Alaska, did you feel like over the season there was, you know, did you did he always feel like he was comfortable? Do you feel like he always felt comfortable in the seat in the new role from when he started? Or did you feel like over time there was additional comfort that, you know, he kind of got more acclimated to the role? Or was he just kind of, hey, this is exactly the same way and it's always been the same since I stepped in? Yeah, so he was asked that a lot throughout the season, especially at the end, like, what would you learn? How was it? And he, I think for him it was just as if he was the head coach the last couple of years under trots and just – he knew the group. He knew the room. I think early on, again, I don't know this for a fact, but he seemed a little overwhelmed. Like I remember we were in, I think we were in Florida for a game and the Islanders lost. And after he's leaving the room, like he showed clear, like he was pissed. And I think that at, when they were losing a lot of those games in late December, early January, I think, again, if you're a coach and your team's losing, and you're trying to X, Y, and Z, and it's not working. That's gotta be frustrating, especially when yeah. you can't play, you know, yeah. I, especially when you play in the league. So you know what it takes to be an NHLer. So I think at times there was frustration, but, in terms of just interacting with Lane, he was the complete opposite of Trotz. You know, Trotz would talk forever, have to get cut off. He was, you know, laughing. For Lane, it was business. You're going to ask a question. I'm going to give you my answer the way I want to give you the answer, and we're going to move on. So it was tough to gauge just Lane as a person because that's the way he acted. But apparently, you know, talking with some people, that's how Lane was as a player. So it wasn't – people thought maybe he's just putting this on because Lou – that's what Lou wants. And I think part of it was – Lou wanted a straight shooter like Lane where he doesn't give up a lot of information, but apparently Lane, that's how Lane is. So maybe that helped him get the job. I think he definitely got comfortable over time. Again, I think he had a lot, you know, you look at all the injuries he had to deal with. And again, this is not the roster that he made. This is Lou's roster. So at, at certain points when he's calling up all these press, or he's playing Nikita Shoshnikov or guys like that, you know, if they're playing better in the rink, that's not Lane, you know, Lane limits their minutes and things like that, but that's the roster he was given. So I think, Issues with that and the line combinations of people getting pissed at Lane for not sticking with things. Like, unfortunately, Lane, that's the group Lane had to figure it out with. And I'm not saying that's fair on Lane. That's just the reality of the business. We saw with Trotz. Trotz was asking for a score for years and never got that. So at some point, it's like, okay, what is, what is Trotz supposed to do? So I think for Lane, in year two, he has no choice. He has to make adjustments and can't have rookie mistakes like he, he made last year. And I think he'll be fine. I think a lot of it, too, and I wrote an article right when the season ended about how you know, the lane, people criticize lane, but I think a lot of it had to do with his staff. You know, John McLean, which I'm not going to say that he deserves full blame for the power play, because like Grumpy said, is you gotta, the players have to look in the mirror. You look at all the guys that are on the power play units. These guys are scoring goals in the right, on five on five. They're, they're not inept goal scorers. And I think there's a lot of it was, you know, the mental talk, especially Dobson. I think it was all mental. We talked to Pulak after the year about that, and he said, you know, it's a lot when you get tasked with a the, with the job like that, and you, you lose bars all and things like that. But I think you know, I don't think McLean helped Lane a lot. Again, the power play struggled. That was vital. That cost him a ton of points. Um, the defensive coach, I'm blanking right now, but um, 
You know, the defense wasn't great last year. It wasn't. And you saw like Dobson again. Um, you want to see Dobson take steps under? Uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? The assistant. Hula um, or Hala? What am I thinking? Yeah, yeah Doug Huda. Sorry, Doug, Doug Huda, Huda is Doug Huda was responsible for helping Maurice Sider on the Detroit Red Wings grow into that superstar type guy. And you thought, okay, you saw with Romanov, you saw Romanov get exponentially better. You just didn't see Dobson take the strides defensively that you wanted to see. And again, Lane had no choice when Barzal went down. You have he kept relying on. Dobson for the power play. McLean wasn't making adjustments. And I think a lot of issues were from that and from his assistant coaches, not maybe carrying their weight. Again, Lane's the head boss. If the power play is not working, Lane could override anything McLean's doing. Lane could override anything Doug's doing. And I think that's when the first year of head coaching stuff is he's not used to having to do that or he yeah. has that power. And I think at times he should have flexed that power a little more. It shouldn't wait until the last game of the playoffs to make a power play change when the power play was bad all year. Um, so I think, yeah, I think this year coming in, if the staff is the same, everyone on that staff's got to take a step forward to help lean out. Now we're under the real quickly. We're under the perception that the staff is completely the same. McLean is still there. Everybody's still there. Power play coach who struggled last year. I, like from my standpoint, and uh, I've always been a guy where you don't change the stripes on a zebra. You know, if a, if a power play coach has a certain mentality in a certain way, he likes to go ahead and coach and try to go ahead and generate points on the power play and goals. He probably is not going to have a drastic change to that or, you know, even really any change at all, because a lot of coaches don't do that. And that's something we gave um, Lane a lot of credit for is he wanted to play more of a high flying offensive yep. system with a heavy four check. He noticed that didn't work. He adjusted. That's something we were very complimentary of him. Not many coaches do that. No. Now, for McLean, I mean, like if he's still going to be back, I, I don't know how does how much autonomy. How much aut autonomy does Lane have, or is I'm not going to say he's Lou's puppet, but does Lou have maybe more input on game day decisions than a normal general manager would have? I don't know. So I don't know about game decisions. I know for a fact like McLean wasn't the top option to come in. They hired someone previously, and then they cut him, and then he signed with the Sharks. Brian Weissman was with hired, and there was a whole yeah. So it became like a second, third option to bring McLean on someone he knew, someone he obviously had as a player and then a coach. So I think there was comfort there with Lou at a last second. We got to bring in a power play guy. Um, now he's fired McLean for like a month or two when he was the head coach of the Devils. He, you know, he had no issue firing him then. So when we asked Lou in Nashville for the draft, is your staff coming back? He would never give us a clear answer. So mm -hmm. my mindset was, we know Lane's coming back. I, I would think Huda's coming back. But, like, is McLean coming back? Because, again, McLean wasn't the, supposed to be the guy. So if they move, even if he had, like, a solid year as a power play coach, that wasn't the guy that, you know, Lane or Lou wanted from the beginning. So maybe they make the move there. I'm not sure. You know, you're looking at the power play and what went wrong, how you can bring him back, even if it's not his fault. Like, I think there's a lot of blame to go on the players. Again, McLean can only set something up. You guys are NHL caliber players that are potting 40 goals, 30 goals in the regular season. So when you have a prime chance to score in tight or in the – and you miss, oh, that's not really on the coach. It reflects poorly on him. But – so I don't really know how they bring him back if they believe it's not the player's fault. Um, so if he is back, I think that's a that's a prime example of Lou putting onus on, hey, you know, we're bringing McLean back. You guys, everyone struggled on their power play, but at times you guys have to pick it up. Because again, Dobson struggled mightily. Does McLean have to make a move there? Yeah. Does Dobson have to figure it out at some point on the power play? Yeah. And again, if Dobson's not going to carry the puck over with ease, there's guys on this team that could break through the neutral zone. We see it again on five on five. Like they're like Engvall Cup could have done it. I thought maybe at one point just put the sec just put the Nelson line out there as your top power play unit and put two defensemen. Like don't they were overcomplicating it way too much. And I think the last two power play goals the Islanders scored, 
was Sebastian Ajo at the point, quarterbacking, firing wrist shots and on goal and deflections. Anders Lee scored one the last game against the Canadians, and the Islanders only scored one power play goal and 18 chances in the playoffs, which was an Ajo shot deflected by Palmieri. I think, especially I talked to Rob Shrimp, former Islander, this summer. He's a big power play guru, and he breaks film down. He said the biggest thing is guys just don't look towards goal. When you're at the point, just shoot the puck on goal. Keep it simple. We've heard the expression, keep it simple, uh, keep it simple stupid. But it really is. like if That's how you beat goalies in today's NHL. You screen them. And if they make the save, you can't see it, and you can't react accordingly. The rebound's going to go somewhere where the goalie doesn't want it to go, and you have a prime chance there. By passing and playing so much on the perimeter, it makes it so easy for the goalie for the defense. And again, you need to see if they go into camp with McLean back with the same power play unit. You got to see just again, simple. That that was about to say that. Like maybe I still have a little bit of hope. Maybe it's foolish optimism on my part. But that was, I guess, what took. That's what Lou said. It took him so long to go ahead and address the media, address the fans, was because he had some questions that he yeah. had answered about, you know, certain, uh, you know, speaking in. I, I asked him the question, and he responded back, "What? If you have any suggestions, let me know." And I was like, oh, "Lou, I'm not gonna, not gonna do that." But uh, yeah, because again, a lot of these things that we talked about was concerning the slow starts. You know, Anders Lee. I, I mean, again, I've only been in one locker room before. This locker room is very tight. We all know that. The leadership doesn't just stop from Lee and the assistants. Everyone has a say, whether you're a two-year vet or like even Parise, for example. Parise is quiet, but he leads by example on the ice. And you have a lot of those. So, but again, though, it comes down to, hey, if the team is going, you know, not showing up for games. First off, I'm not sure you blame the coach for that. It's one thing if you're playing peewee hockey and they're like eight or nine-year-olds and they're not focused and stuff. But again, I've never been an NHL player, never had that salary, never had that will really to, to play to that level. I don't think a coach has to get those players hyped up to play NHL hockey. And I think, you know, I don't ever want to say that they weren't trying because I really don't believe that. But maybe the preparation just wasn't good enough to go into games where not saying they're going out and partying or doing anything like that. But, hey, when the puck drops, you know, we need more from so-and-so. We need more from the leaders. And I think that goes back to leadership. And maybe that it is too close of a group. Again, moving Josh Bailey. I'm very curious to see how that impacts the room in terms of not just obviously losing Bailey because everyone talks highly in the room about him. but again. Someone that was here for so long, that was a leader, whether he played or not, he's gone now. So how is that, you know, is that a wake-up call? Is that a wake-up call enough, I guess, for this group to think and go, oh, okay, so, you know, again, Bailey wasn't playing every day, but we just took a big piece of this room out because of X, Y, and Z. Now, maybe does that mean, you know, do we see that maybe no more slow starts? Like, that was a proven point, or does that not get the point across? And you got any moves, you know, at the deadline and move another player? Like, for example, there was talks, like, Pajot would get moved this yeah. summer or you know could we even see brock a guy like brock nelson who's in his prime despite being over 30 get traded for example and things like that and you know we were waiting a bavilli i think that was a perfect example that shook the room a little bit you know when bavilli got moved in the horvat deal because you know barzal's best friend since they were kids is Bo. a lot of guys had strong relationships and it was tough now i think Bo horvat coming in the player they got back helped the room because one it's a leader two it's a guy that producing and that'll help fill the hole but I thought that was a pretty big wake-up call because, again, that Bavilla scored one of the biggest goals in the last decade of Islanders hockey, that overtime goal. So you took a big key piece of that room and you took him away. And I think it did work. But, you don't, again, you don't want to have to do that. You know, if you, if, you, if, you don't, if you could avoid moving those key pieces of that room, not saying the best players in the room, just key pieces, you don't want to do that because, these again, this group is tight and you need chemistry like that on and off the ice. But if we get to the deadline this past year and the Islanders are shaky, I wouldn't be shocked to see a staple maybe on the move. 
now and, and something I wanted to talking about moves or potential yeah. new faces. Now you wrote an article recently, I believe you wrote an article recently and Tom coach Tommy V asked the question there, Stefan, do you think that Tom Sitar is possibly an Islander and maybe he fits that that mold as well because he's a guy who still hasn't signed a contract you'd think that he's got some still left in the tank and he can contribute yeah. uh, you know do you think possibly he's an islander you know just being everything so quiet around him yeah i think it's it's definitely possible and i think and i wrote in the article too there's there's a couple of reasons why tatard makes sense i think if parise is coming back which again we have we're not sure yet parise is coming back and clutterbuck's healthy and they're playing tatar is not a need now yes i'll help the power play but might as well let young players play. However, don't have any <laughs> young prospects that aren't that are ranked at the bottom of the prospect pool play. <laughs> um, but if Parise isn't back, Tatar can fill that role. Yes, Holmstrom might be getting groomed for that job eventually, a defensive guy. But I think Tatar brings more. He just scored twenty goals last year. Now Tatar is not a playoff player at all, and that's been a knock. Maybe like why he isn't getting signed, or why the Islanders shouldn't go after him and stuff. Well. Tatar is one of those players that maybe doesn't play in the playoffs correctly and doesn't get the points, but as one of those players that gets you there. You know, that was the big thing with Eberly and Palmieri, right? Eberly was, you know, it didn't, it wasn't great in the playoffs for the Islanders, but he had some great seasons where he helped get them there. And Palmieri, that whole thing was Palmieri wasn't great in that regular season with the Islanders, but in the playoffs, he was that playoff guy. So Eberly is one of those guys that could get you to the playoffs. Palmieri is one of those guys in the playoffs that thrives. But I think for Tatar, it's a situation where, I don't know how much the Islanders trust Holmstrom to be an everyday player yet. I think he showed well defensively. The offense was lacking severely. And again, the Islanders have so many bottom six guys that could play a bottom six role much better than a Holmstrom can. The thing, the same thing with Wallstrom is, you know, Wallstrom this year coming in off the ACL injury is he's got to prove he's a top six guy or a bottom six guy. And if he is a top six guy, that's fantastic. But if he's a bottom six guy, the Islanders have so many other guys that could play a bottom six role better where Walsham doesn't fit. So I think if Tatar comes in and fills Parise's role, defensive forward who could score, you're not losing a whole lot with Parise being gone. But that being said, if Parise's back, like, again, going to Clutterbuck real quick, if Clutterbuck is unhealthy to play, you can move Fashing down there and you can put Tatar on that third line. So I think it's quite possible with how quiet it is, and I think the Islanders could fit him in cap-wise. Um, but I think that Parise would 100% have to not be back, and you'd have to see really – what Holmstrom shows you at camp. Cause I get put Tatar on a PTO for any team, but the Islanders just makes a lot of sense to me. Even if you cut him, let Holmstrom see that this is not a safe spot. Like he's not guaranteed or a guy like Wallstrom isn't guaranteed or fashing even, you know, having veterans like that, that are want to get a job that'll push everybody last year at camp. If you remember Bellows and Wallstrom knew they had jobs on the roster, not every day, like they had to fight for it, but there wasn't really chemistry for them not to make the team. And I, th- uh, excuse me, not competition for them not to make the team. And I think that having veterans that have played in the NHL before, produced in the NHL, having guys that, that just pushes everybody else. So I think for a PTO, it makes a lot of sense. But again, when there's quietness around a player that maybe should already be signed, you, you can't rule off that he's an Islander. That's an issue that I've always had with the Islanders every single year. You, can, I don't think there's any competition for any spots ever. I think, as you see, at the end of the year or as training camp comes up, this guy's going to play here. He's going to play. And there's never competition. And I, I think competition brings the best out of everyone. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that's been the case with the Islanders for, for a while now, honestly, uh, from when Trotz was there as well. Yeah. So it's just from my perspective, I'd love to see that. I don't know if we are because it's not what their MO has been since uh, yeah. Lamarillo has been there. And I think the depth signings this summer might already do enough for the competitiveness. Again, Godier, 
Kuhlman um, and Pinho, you know, they got signed. Pinho, I think, only played a couple of NHL games before, but Kuhlman's got, I think, 50 or so. Godier has been around. Those will, they'll push those young players because those guys have NHL experience and Godier was on an NHL roster and Kuhlman played. So I think it's different than the last couple of years where they really didn't have veterans pushing these youngsters who weren't ready. So I think this summer, this uh, camp will be interesting because, again, a guy like Holmstrom, a guy like Johnson now has to fight for his life. Fashion got a two-year deal. It's not a guarantee he's in the lineup. So I think you'll definitely see bottom six movement, especially because it depends what, how camp goes and health-wise. But I think this year is different because, he, again, he went and got those depth players. The, the the question that I have, too, you talked about Cal Clutterbuck. Now, yeah. he had a shoulder injury. Is there any reason to think that he won't be back and healthy and ready to go after that shoulder injury? Uh, you know, yeah. It's- yeah, I think he's healthy. Again, last year, we kept asking for every injury that happened. Like, is it the same thing? And Lou or Lane would, would say no. I think that was more of the concerning part. Let's say it was his shoulder. After he had, he had season-ending shoulder surgery a year before last year. So I think if it was a shoulder... Like, all right, okay, you know what the injury is, at least you get that fixed. And if you, you could play, great. But the amount of injuries, and like he took a shot off the finger and he, you know, the wrists when he got the skate cut. So these aren't, these are different injuries and you, you want, you don't want to see his body deteriorate. But I think he is healthy going in. The question is, how long can he stay healthy? Because you look at last year and you can look at how many games he missed. But that doesn't take into consideration the games that he left so- and came back. So that's tough. I'm not sure how we fit a guy like Tom. Like, I still think Thomas Tatar has value around the league. I mean, yeah. even as a bottom six guy or as a middle six and a really bad team. But, like, he's a guy to where I think he's a bottom six. He's got talent. He's got value. And, you know, I, I think about our roster, right? If we're going to have, let's say, Paris, say, hypothetically doesn't come back, you know, it's it just pretty much exchanged now for Oliver Wallstrom. And, I mean, like, if you were to sign a guy like Tatar, who's the odd man out? Is that, let's say, Clutterbuck does play. He's healthy. Is it Wallstrom who's taking the sit? Is it Hudson Fashing who had a great year last year? Is he the one taking the sit? And it's just like it would be really unfortunate, in my opinion, if they signed a guy like Tatar. Let's say it works out the the sun and the stars line, and uh, we're sitting Hudson Fashing after a fantastic year for us last year over a guy like uh, Thomas Tatar. And then, you know, you've got healthy scratch Hudson Fashing and Simon Holmstrom. Yeah, no, it is tough. But like we just talked about, that's that's the competitiveness. That's the competition you want. You want that issue. Where and worst comes to worst, listen. Let's say Tatar isn't the better of the players at camp, then you cut him or wave him. Um, again, like I said, Wallstrom is going to get his shot. We know that. Um, he's we know that he's going to be healthy for camp. Uh, let's see how he looks. So again, Anders Lee came back early from an ACL injury, and it took him a little. Yeah, I think he scored in the first game that season. Then it took him a while to get back into the groove. So let's see. Maybe he needs a couple of days off. Looks like he's um, still struggling. Who? Anders Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he, I, the thing about Anders Lee, I know um, you would call him Mr. Average and stuff, is after Captain the, Average. Actually, Captain he's average. below average now, but that's okay. Um, is, as a captain would, he took the blame for He goes, this, you know, this pro season was on me. I didn't come up with one big goal for this team. I mean, again, he's got to. They needed him, and it didn't work out, and you hope that he could learn from that again. Sometimes it's just age and speed and hand-eye coordination where you can't get that back. Well, so, maybe it's the fact – that they just played Carolina, and Carolina just – the Islanders aren't beating Carolina. Sorry. Well, they just outplayed them five on five. Well, you know what? They were missing three of their top six no, goals and played a backup sure. goalie. I, and they still wind up losing in six. They're not beating Carolina. Now, here's yeah. the thing. I live in the Carolina area, but Carolina, to me, I love – every year I question what they do. Mm-hmm. 
and they come out smelling like a rose. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but it's working down there. They're similar to the Islanders in the sense that, like when the Islanders were going back to back to the Cubs, because their defense is suffocating. That yeah. defensive group suffocates you. And now they added um, Orlov. Orlov. So, like that, that yeah. defense is going to be stronger to play against. And also, um, like the Islanders, is, yeah, they have Svechnikov and Aho, but are they perennial superstars? Not Their team is mostly made up of those middle six second line, third line guys. It just works. And They're of young. course, Brindamore, I mean, they, they love to play for this guy and they get good goaltending. I'm not saying Ront is the best backup, but he was undefeated in the playoffs before he lost. Um, sorry. He was undefeated at home until the Islanders beat them uh, in Carolina that one game. So it's just crazy. It just works. Like you said, you know, why does it work every time? Who knows, but they find a way they get key contri- uh, contributions from a, g- a lot of guys in that lineup that maybe on other teams aren't getting the minutes they get there. And it ju- again, just works. I think their playing style is just absolutely death to us. I mean, they've beaten us 16 the last 20 times we played them, which is just a crazy t- statistic as well. Um, you know, this year, you know, we, we did lose to, to Carolina and, you know, they had some injuries, you know, we've, we've talked about it now. I feel like on the show this off season, um, and I know Grumpy wanted to kind of ask a question like this as to when I'll let you I'll let you phrase the question the way you wanted to, Grumpy. It was I something forgot the question. You've been talking so long, I forgot everything I was gonna say. Yeah, you, you have you're rubbing your eyes, you're you're keeping your wake over there, Grumpy. Yeah, no, you put me to sleep with that lilting tone of your voice. <laughs> you were gonna um, ask the question about when you pull the plug, but yeah, well, in a much more ornate way. So I figured I'd let you broach the question. Yeah, I, I guess one I guess question I want to ask Stefan. So I said, You got it, Grump. Lou has been saying, for, we believe in this core, we believe in this core, we believe in this core. This core's never won anything. We've never won a division title, never won a conference title, never won a Stanley Cup. Okay. At some point in time, you have to transition to the next era. How many years realistically do you think this group has? Now, we have, I, I mean, uh, I need the offseason signing. Yeah, I know the low AAV. For Engvall and Mayfield, who I love, and Varlamov. But my gosh, seven-year deals for guys who are middle of the lineup or a bottom six defenseman and a backup, a 35-year-old backup goalie just seems excessive to me. Um, How long do we really think we can continue to do this and be anything more than a bubble playoff team? Yeah. It's a great question. And again, you, you have the new players here like Horvat in his prime, Engvall in his prime. Again, you also have to hope that young guys, like if Romanov could play the way he played in the second half, that changes things. But like you said, they got guys locked in. Scott Mayfield, again, I, I think looking at the the years, especially with the cap going up, those are movable contracts at the end of it if you needed to. Um, but yeah, I, I think Clutterbuck after this year, I think that's probably it. His contract's done. Um, I think Matt Martin has Martin. done. Martin's the same thing. This is their last year. So I think once the fourth line identity line moves on, you're going to see a different type of – yeah, no choice. You have to see a different type of Islanders hockey because that fourth line, again, it hasn't been the same fourth line it was. But, again, too, it also impacts, like, do they move Pajot at the deadline? If they move Pajot, the third line is no longer your shutdown line. So all everything's going to change one move at a time, and then slowly but surely you'll see, okay, wow, this is a different Islanders team. Um, in terms of how many years with this core – I get it. And honestly, it depends when Brock Nelson starts playing his age because he's keeping this core alive because he's doing things on the other side of 30. Like for me, for Nelson, I feel like he didn't start his career until Trotz got here. Just right. Trotz tournament. So I think like him being over 30, he's more like 28, 27 in my eyes because he didn't really take off until that happened. 
Um, but yeah, eventually Anders Lee's not, you know, people are already talking about how Anders Lee can't play on the top six anymore. Um, but the argument is everyone wants to move him to the bottom six. However, you can't, you know, everyone said, oh, if Parisi retired, just move Lee to the third line and go get someone, whatever. You can't just do that. And I'll tell you why. Because Lee cannot plan a shutdown defensive line. Thank if the, you. If the fourth line was still that shutdown defensive line, then of course Lee can play in that line. But as long as Pajot is being relied upon to go against the best the other team has to offer, Lee can't play there. So by default, if you're keeping Engvall with Nelson, which I think you have to do, Lee has no other place to play but that top line. I, I look at it. I, I mean, I think we've looked at Anders Lee does not work with Matt Barzell. I mean, here's it worked guy. at the beginning, but once Trotz broke them up for that extended time after that, you could tell that he was trying to make it work with other players. And I think Lee works better with a Nelson, but for right now, just with how good you have to get, at least give the Engvall Nelson Palmieri line a shot. If they're bad, then eventually I think what you'll see is you'll see either Palmieri go up to that top line or even let's see what happens with Wallstrom. But I think to start the season, I get what you're saying completely. They don't work well together. And I think, I think it'll be different now though. Having Horvat in the middle is like a buffer. You know, it's not Lee working just with Barzell has how it was. You have a middleman who's very good when he's at the top of his game. So I think that might help, especially with foot speed, because Horvat could stay, uh, skate with Barzell. You were relying on Lee to skate with Barzell, which kind of wasn't fair to Lee. Um, so I think things are different now. But, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just think with the, the way the team is made up, there's really no other place to play Lee unless, again, unless Wallstrom – um, figures out where, you know what, you could play Leon Pajot's line. If, let me fashion on that line, and that line could still do enough defensively, where maybe Lee doesn't have to escape the offense, uh, the defensive zone quicker. You know, he could play more defensive role. So it, it's tough. It's a weird spot because you don't you don't want to – you never see a, a player kind of forced to be a top-line player. You might, you, I, might, you might force it the other way. Like, okay, like for like example, you know, Walsh might not be ready to play a top-line role. He's playing bottom six, especially coming off an injury. That makes sense. But yeah, the honors are in a tough spot with Lee because one, you can't move that contract. No, I don't think they want to. And they really needed to work because they didn't get a superstar to finish that line. And Lee could, again, as far as slow as Lee was and everything like that, and maybe he's below average at this point, he does find a way to score goals, even if it's not, again, it, we're not looking at situational scoring. It's just he scores goals. Um, but I think, yeah, you're in a weird situation with Lee right now. I just, from my perspective, I look at Matt Barzell, you need to have someone on that line who can skate. Yeah. Casey looked good with him in limited. Uh, so why? Casey, that And so did Hudson Fashing. Why? You know what? They pass and they move their feet. And it's just something Anders Lee just at this stage, just not capable of doing. I mean, hey, neither can I. I'm not saying I should be on the first line either. But I just think, I mean, and you say Pierre Engvall, I'm not the biggest Pierre Engvall fan. I think he's got a lot more to prove for sure. 18 games is just too small a sample size for me, but at least he skates. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, and I know that Lee works with Nelson. I mean, to, to me, I just think we need more speed on that first line. Otherwise it's kind of like, eh, we're playing with two guys on the first line and an anchor. And you know, for me, that's just kind of frustrating as a fan. That's no, it. I completely understand that. I think again, too, I think Engvall could really work with that top line. I, I think the speed, I, I think also too, is like I said, you just got to run that second line back, but I think quickly you could see, I mean, Lane credit to Lane. He made in-game adjustments a lot yes. with his lines, especially when things weren't working. So you could see one period of Engvall with like in the first game of the year, if the first period, Liam Barzal and Horvat are just not working. You could easily see Engvall play that for a period and see how it works again. Training camp's going to determine a lot of that. Like I said, I think they're going to have no choice but to try Nelson um, with Palmieri and Engvall again. But I think, again, the Islanders are not in a situation where they can let the early first 
10, 15 games, get away from them. Because we talked to Barzal, and he said that he was just not happy having to sneak in every year. And it's about those games early in the year that they throw points away, where at the end of the year, of course, you make the playoffs in game 82. If you had played better early in the year, you're not in that situation. Also, too, there's so much pressure he talked about when you have to grind to get in physically and mentally, where, you know, he wants to be looking at the, the, the standings in March and be, you know what? Like, maybe we're not the top seed in the division. Maybe we're a top wildcard spot. We at least have like a four or five game lead where we're not every period, every moment is so much pressure. Talking about grinding to get in. Yeah. The thing we've had to do over the last three, four years is consistently trade away our, and maybe we didn't, I guess two years ago, we didn't do it during the trade deadline. But something we've been doing that seems to be a commonplace for us now is trading away our first round draft pick at the deadline to make an addition of a piece to try to make a playoff push. Now, Dale also wants to ask, what's the likelihood we trade that pick away? I, I think it's going to be high. And I think we all would agree here on that on the show. Um, you know, do you do you ever get the feeling, and I think I've asked you this on a Twitter space before, but do you ever get the feeling that that Lou puts a lot of credence into what's the future impact going to be of trading uh, this pick away? Grumpy and I broke it down. In the history of the Islanders, the 50-year history, there have been a total of four times that Lou Lamarillo has traded away our first-round pick. And all other general managers and in the history of the Islanders have only had not had a first round pick three times in the remaining 45 years of the history of the Islanders. So it's, you know, obviously Lou is, you know, very different from what we're used to. Do you think he puts any sort of credence and thought, hey, there's going to be a team that's around here three, four, five, six years from now? My honest answer is no, because he's not going to be here. He yeah. wants to win right now. And I, I'm not saying I agree with trading a first-round pick every year because you have to build a prospect pool, and having prospects is huge in terms of trading to get the guys you want. My mindset is for a, uh, a team in win-now mode, which the Islanders are. Unless you're getting a top-five, top-ten pick, those guys that you draft later on in the first round are not going to be ready to help you right now. And if you could trade a first-round pick for someone that's proven NHL player that can help you right now, I completely understand making that move every day. Now, again, though, you have to look and you have to hit on. If you're not, if you're going to trade your first round pick, you got to hit on those later round picks. Now, the Islanders are hoping that you know Dufour, a fifth rounder, Maggio, a fifth rounder, Isaiah George, I think was a third rounder. Those guys eventually become because again, the Islanders don't have those first round picks, and it'll be amazing if those players become players that maybe fell in the draft when they shouldn't have, and they are legitimate first or early second. I just think Lou is focused on now because. I mean, quite frankly, why should he care what the team is like after he's gone? He's trying to win right now. He needs he needs people in the seats. He wants this this group's older too, so he wants them to. He doesn't. I mean, in like ten years, most of this team's not going to be here. He's not going to be here. So I think, yeah, I think it's all about winning now. And if you could get a player any day of the week instead of a question mark who might help, might or may not help you and pan out in a couple of years, he's going to make that move every time. Do you like that ideology? Do, do fan, let me ask you because I like as just like as the fan like I'm not a fan of the ideology grumpy's not a fan of the ideology I feel like the more again like we live in our a lot of people who listen to our show I, I'd say agree to that to that thought process but there are other people who completely disagree saying yeah we're, we're extremely happy about the success that we've had um, you know we've made two Eastern Conference finals even though they were a few years ago but this is the most success we've ever had since being in COVID, years. COVID years I like to call them. 
the, yeah, the COVID year, man, we could, that's the only positive we can look back on during that time period is the Islander success that we had. <laughs> I mean, like, is that, is that something that, that you feel, I mean, like, is that something that you think I, I don't, again, like I, I, you really can't share too many opinions, but like, is that something that you're excited about? Does that make, do you think that should make fans excited thinking, or do you think a lot of fans are starting to come to the realization saying, Oh God, that is an impending doom. That's a dark storm cloud that looks like it's headed our way. What do you What do you feel the fan base talking to talking to fans, kind of seeing? What do you Where do you feel the fan fan base? Well, I think it goes down to that poll where they the trust in ownership, uh, trust in in management. I think again, I personally believe what I said here is that if you could trade a first round pick for a proven NHL player that'll help you right now, again, unless it's like a top ten pick, you should do it. But again, when you're doing it four or five years in a row and your team hasn't won. You got to kind of look and think, okay, is that player that I'm going to get right now? For example, going and getting to brink it. Should, should the Islanders take a, if he was willing to sign long-term, should the Islanders send a first round pick? Yes. Yeah, they should. That's a guy that's young. that scored 40 goals a couple of times. Bo Horvat, you can look back. That was a conditional first round pick. But if Bo Horvat, again, he didn't play the way they hoped when he got here, but if Bo Horvat can score 35 goals and they win a championship over the course of his contract, like that, that's the biggest thing with looking at these contracts too, is if I sign, let's say they sign Bo Horvat to his deal and the Islanders never win anything, but Horvat scores 50 goals, three straight season. Let's say that happens. You can look at Horvat's contract, say he was a good player on his contract. They won nothing. If Horvat scores 25 goals and the Islanders win one championship over the next eight years, contract was worth it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So I think again, like I said, if you could, maybe it's impending doom a couple years down the road. If, if the Islanders don't win with these guys, I just think, I just think right now is if you're looking at it with, this team and how they don't have the prospects. They don't, they kind of have to go and trade those picks because they have, they, then there's no homegrown. So I think I've that's got, the route. I've got two questions. Yep. And then, cause I know we, we got to be respectful of Stefan's time there. He's got, Appreciate he's got other obligations he's got to get to. And I'll let you ask a question. Two quick questions. Do you think, right? Like with, um, number one, what do you think the expectations are for this year? What are your realistic expectations for this season? Uh, and I'll let Grumpy have a question. But that, that's the big one. Oh, thanks. You're gonna let me have a question. Thanks. I'll let you have another. What do you I, think? What do you think realistically the team could be this year? I think it's a wild card team again. Now, again, if we talk about this, the things that change, if the power plays three percent higher during the regular season, and they maybe they they beat the Coyotes for a change, right? I think that it won't take 82 games for them to make the playoffs as a wild card team. But I still think right now, just with the improvements other teams in the Metro and the East made, and the, again, the Islanders not making changes, I don't. I don't know how high they could get. I, again, I think they're a top wild card team. Uh, certainly, they could fall below that for sure. I just think with I, as much as I don't love what the Rangers did this offseason, much as I have questions about the Devils goaltending, um, I just think you'll see the Devils in Carolina up there, and I think you will see the Rangers as a three. I'm not saying the Islanders will be that far behind the Rangers for the top wild card spot. I just think that that's I think the top wild card spot again. When you don't have a superstar goal scorer. Again, it's a grind, and I think that it will be another grind again. Absolutely. And Grumpy, I, I want to let you have your last question there. Last I, 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 if you have another question, just ask. <laughs> um, you know, likelihood is we talked about Stanley Cup or bust. That yeah. was that was the big item two years ago with Stanley Cup or bust. Seems like the tenure has changed where no longer is that the mindset that general manager and, and head coach come out and say, maybe they'll say that this year. Uh, to start the season who knows um, but uh, you know question being is do you think it's a likelihood that we can win Stanley Cup and if not then you know I rest my case time maybe to, to look other directions to try to build a Stanley Cup winner um, 
I think it's certainly possible. We just saw, you know, Vegas with the, with a third string goalie come and do what they did. We saw the Panthers who struggled mightily during the year, go on a run. It's really about getting hot at the right time. It seems like the Islanders always go into the playoffs, not hot, um, which I think does impact things for sure. And again, the reason the Islanders, you know, when they got Pajot that year, I think they were Oh, four and three to end their year going into the playoffs, but they had a nice long break to get healthy. And that changes things. I just think, I think what this Islanders crew could get to the playoffs. Anything when you have Sorokin too, that changes everything because if Sorokin doesn't allow those weaker goals, he can carry you to a cup final. But again, it's going to come down to those one or two goals where the Islanders have to figure out if you don't have a superstar guy scoring, who's going to be that guy. Now I think they're in a better situation like they were previous years because a guy like a Horvat, again, I know he hasn't been amazing and hasn't had that much experience in the playoffs, but I think, I think this team's a little deeper. And when you get in, it's really just, can guys like, again, Anders Lee's got to step up players like that. But I think you could certainly win a cup. I think the NHL is the league where it doesn't matter where you rank, you get into the playoffs, anything's possible. So for sure, I think this group could do it. It's just going to be a lot tougher for them than other teams because they are missing some key pieces that championship teams have. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, it could it get hot? Could Sorokin play well? Sure. I just... There's a lot of things that have to go right. Exactly. And, and for every team that wins, though, you have to be healthy. A lot of things have to go right. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why we see number one seeds not win the cup. <laughs> it's, you know, I'd put our, our likelihood is low. I've always used it. Zero. Like going, it's, it's zero. Our chance of winning the Stanley Cup is zero. I put zero. less than 1%. Zero. Less Listen than 1%. Me, no, no. It's zero. <laughs> you want to know why? Carolina is still in our division. Maybe Carolina gets knocked out. We are not beating Carolina. (laughs) We're not beating Carolina. I'm just going to tell you flat out, we're not beating Carolina. Unless Carolina disbands or the whole team gets hurt, we're not beating Carolina. Period. We're not beating Carolina. Guess who else we're not beating? We're not beating the Devils. We're not beating Toronto. We're not beating Florida. Why? All those teams skate and aggressive on the four check. It's death to us as an older, slower team. Sorry, Stefan. Um, no, I have I mean, no stake in the game. I, I just, <laughs> I, I just can't see it. And I, for me, for me, it's like, okay, how do we want to get? We want to win Stanley Cups. Now, I asked the question. You didn't give me a time frame. On the core, you dance around. It was good. It was a good dance. I know what I'm doing. But what do you figure? Like two years tops before it's like, hey, come on, this is enough. With this group, I, yeah, I would, I would say two years. And I guess the window with this group to win ultimately depends on their young guys. That again, not top prospects, but again, like if Wallstrom can become that score that the Islanders envision and finally figured out. Again, every time a player like that, or if Dobson figures out a little bit defensively that makes that window a little longer because those are your young guys still here. But if those guys don't take steps and you're relying on this core, yeah, I think two years with this group before you see significant changes. And that's and the, I've always said I'd much rather have Dobson with Pellick. So I agree with that. And I think that Romanoff improved, but only when he played with Pulak. Yep. I'd love to see that. And I think, you know, you mentioned the confidence issue for Noah Dobson. Well, I mean, if he's playing with – I think he's – suffered not power play wise but defensively i mean Romanoff to me he's like a chicken with his head cut off out there a lot of times yeah he's laying big checks he's blocking shots but he's not the most positionally sound guy and i think that dobson is not the best defensive defenseman he's a modern nhl defenseman i'd much rather see him with an uh, with uh, adam pellick myself 
I agree. I, I, I don't know if that's something that Lane would even – would even. I know they did in the playoffs a little bit, but I'd love to see that from day one. I think it makes them stronger overall. Yeah, I think your best offensive defenseman should be with your best defensive defenseman. And I think, like you said with Romanov, I think what hurt Dobson, and he got a bad rep early in the year, and I, it was a lot on him, but also is he's there for his offense. And Romanov stepped way too much, too many odd man rushes. I think Romanov figured it out in the second half a little bit, like you said, alongside Pulak. I just think with Dobson, there was so much pressure for defense with Romanov. And then when he was with Ajo, he had to play stronger defensively. I think Pelik will allow him to be more free mentally. Yes. To not have to think. Because, again, he's thinking too much out there. He's thinking too much, and he's over, you know, over, I don't know, compartmentalizing all these plays on the ice because he has to worry about defense, and he has to worry about getting up the rink. And I think if Pelik returns and is that guy, that shutdown guy, Dobson can flourish as an offensive. Again, I think Romanov, too, in year two, could certainly help Dobson a lot. I think it'll catapult Dobson. But I think, again, Pelik just is your ultimate shutdown guy. And that yes. relieves so much pressure from Dobson where, again, all that pressure off him at five on five will 100% give him more confidence on the power play. Because every like in baseball, if you're a fielder and a hitter and you make a bad play in the field, it's going to affect your at-bat. So, yeah. so I think it's huge for Dobson. I also think they took the training wheels off. They should have given him one more year with a veteran. I think they jumped the gun with the Romanov move. I Again, I would have put him with Pelik. Um, but I think I think they'll start with Pulak Pelik. But I think quickly, quickly, if things don't work out with Dobson wherever he is, they got to get him right because he's he's clearly an um, integral part because they need offense from the defense. And last thing before you go, okay. most tradable assets at the deadline are Wallstrom, Dobson, and a first round pick. Well, I, I would so, say Pajot too because every playoff team needs a guy like that. I'd add well, that in. Then we're just if we're trading Pajot, that means we're losing. Yes, yes we're that does losing. mean yes. Okay. Real quick, what is your most cherished piece of sports memorabilia that you have in your vast collection? So I don't know if it's the most valued one, but my first ever Islander game I went to, they gave out Mike Pekka wooden mini sticks. Ooh. And I still have it. So that's that's probably the coolest thing I have just because it was my first. I can't tell you who they played. I think I was playing with the stick more than watching the game. But I think that was pretty pretty cool to still have that. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Stefan, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Um, we'll try to have you on maybe something sure. during the all-star break or something. Things get busy again. You could see there, right? When you look at his name, you see writing for the writing for the hockey news, writing for NHL.com. He's got his podcast to hockey night and why, you know, he does a lot. He's a very busy guy. So again, very thankful that you came on uh, Stefan and, and, and had some time here for us. And, and maybe sometime, maybe if things die down during the all-star break, if you're not kicking back maybe in a nice sunny resort or something like that for a week you know hopefully we'll have you on there Stefan. but he's, a kid. he's not doing anything yeah hold on yeah. hold on yeah. i am 25 in in the summertime or grumpy in the wintertime it's nice to get away to get to a nice little uh, maybe go to cancun or a summer resort like that come on grumpy and here's the thing about that. Stefan working for the hockey news nhl.com you know that he can read and write so that's what you're to say he brings maybe you to the table maybe i'm not good i'm not good at either but i can do both there you go. Yeah. See, see, TJ, so maybe there's hope for you yet. There there it is. Thanks so much, Stefan. Thank you. Uh, thanks, guys, for having me. Anytime. Let me know. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Stefan. Um, Grumpy, always love having Stefan on. Again, one, one of the beat writers, one of the writers that I think fights the good fight, you know, asks, asks hard questions, you know, as much as he can, um, you know, with 
with how the regime runs there and the, and the Islanders and the Islanders media cartel. So always love, always love having him on, always love his input um, and items of that nature. We have a few questions that I've got started up here that were going on during Did the show that I want to make sure we can highlight. Yes. So we want to read to the ad read. Is that what you're about to ask? Yes. Okay. Let me pull that up here for us. Grump. Oh, shit. I I'm just glad you reminded me because I totally had forgotten about that. I know you did. I know you did. That's why I'm here. I'm here to remind you. You were like a little chatterbox today, I noticed. Well, Grumpy, I was asking questions. and uh, You were asking a lot of questions. Grumpy, Grumpy about to fall asleep again. Honestly. You were just like a nonstop question machine over there. I, to I told you, Grumpy, to, to have some stuff prepared there. Well, I, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. You never stopped talking. You like how I said, Grumpy, what, what type of questions do you have to say? I don't well, know. After you ask 55 minutes of questions, <laughs> it's like, oh, you got a question? Jeez, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know, huh, Grumpy? <laughs> Oh, God. Um, okay, perfect. We've got today our ad is from DraftKings, ladies and gents. Oh, nice. Can you believe it? We've had seven months without an NFL game. Crazy, right? Well, the good thing is that is over. The NFL is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5 on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with a game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of these two offers. Every single game, every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Uh, again, download now and use the promo code THPN and sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just by betting $5. Um, again, that's promo code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net and your call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for a gambling problem if you call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. And please play responsibly on behalf of the Boot Hill uh, casino and resort in Kansas. You must be 21 years or older, but it, age varies by jurisdiction. It's void in Ontario. Uh, CDKNG.com slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gambling resources. Again, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance and eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Oh, Ooh. nice job, TJ. I know. I know. I don't I know if it was accurate. I don't know if it was accurate, but hey. Uh, now, obviously, Stefan didn't have a chance to answer this, but Grumpy, I'll ask you this. Gungun wants to know, do you think you can ever be friends with Lamarilla one day, or would you high stick him in the face? No, absolutely, we could be friends. As a matter of fact, I bet you if I knew him, we would be friends. You think so? Absolutely. Would you be friends with him, Grumpy? I'm charming. <laughs> you think he could charm over Lou Lamarillo? Absolutely. Uh, Here's the thing. No one, once you know me, you like me. It's just that plain stuff. If you don't, you're a freaking loser. Ah, if you don't like him, it's a it's, a, it's his thing. It's a you issue, not a me issue. I just oh, put no, it that way. Gracious. Um, got here a comment there. Drew L saying, Yeah, in all honesty, out of all TJ's guests, Stefan is by far the most intellectual. It makes the podcast more interesting than some laminite pushing their agenda. Very true. Thank you so much, Drew. We love having Stefan on. Uh, and uh, Freedom Fund Adventure says here, Stefan, 
Should the Islanders miss the playoffs or get bounced early? Will ownership retire Lou? And I, I'm, I think we maybe talked about this on the show. And I think that Stefan was more in the thought process of you missed two out of three years. You know, there's going to be definitely be some pointing of fingers, but uh, who knows? Maybe they need to re-examine. They have to re. I would think you'd have to re-examine, wouldn't you? It didn't seem as clear cut the answer that you know we would probably think as fans like hey if you won two postseason games in three years right for a general manager that's a team that's supposed to be competing for a stanley cup at the start of that three-year window you probably need to get fired but it doesn't seem as clear-cut that the answer would be ownership would make the reaction like that and um what does uh, what does it look like for the roster martin clutterbuck palmary gone soon uh can the Islanders trade lee they won't be able to and how would you fix this? The issue, again, that the Islanders have is they have no one in the minor leagues ready to step up. We've only had, realistically, two contributors since Lamarillo has taken over. And uh, I, even though I don't give him credit for drafting Dobson and Wallstrom, can you name another guy from the farm system who stepped up in the last five, six years? There isn't any. There just isn't. And that's where the failure – I mean, you look at every other team in the league, I bet you there's no one that hasn't had someone who they've drafted in the last five, six years come up and play for the team. Uh, the, only the Islanders. And like I said, I don't, give, I don't give them credit for Dobson and Wallstrom. I don't either, but I think, I think a lot of these teams too have not – we've traded – even when you look when Pittsburgh was competing for Stanley Cup, same thing with Washington. They didn't trade away their first-round pick – four years in a row no. let alone possibly five right I th that looks like the pot that looks like a very high possibility that this will be the fifth year in a row that we trade away trade away our first round pick the only way i could imagine us not doing that is if we are so far out of the playoff spot where it is impossible to even squint at and say we're not going to double down if we're outside of the playoff push if we're sitting at fifth in the division outside of a wild card spot guarantee guarantee bet your money that we're still going to add the only way I could see is if we're at the deadline and we're sitting at seventh, sixth or seventh in the division. That's the only way I would see us not doubling I down. I don't see us being. Uh, I don't see us being sixth or seventh. That's my point. Yeah, I don't. Certainly not. I mean, Philadelphia and Columbus suck. Okay. Well, there's your seven and eight. Well, then, yeah. So, so that would mean that Washington and Pittsburgh would have to be over us. I think Washington right. will be over us. I don't. I, I no doubt in my mind. Pittsburgh is going to be better than we are next year. That's the only way I could see us not doubling down at the deadline is if you've got the three teams that were ahead of us, you know, head over heels last year, Carolina, the Devils, the Rangers, and then you you went ahead and flip-flopped in, in, what did you call it, the, the, the mediocrity of suck or the suck zone with Washington and Pittsburgh. That's the only time I could see us not going ahead and doubling down this roster. Other than that, I see us probably trading away that first-round pick. I say if we were in the Western Division – I think we could make playoffs in the East. I don't see it. I just think there's too many. I just like how, and Stefan even did a little bit today where, you know, we're expecting all these other teams look better on paper. Well, the Islanders are the same exact team that didn't do anything in the postseason. And we played a banged up. And here's the thing people, you know, well, you know, Carolina, yeah, they had injuries, but. Svechnikov was a huge loss two weeks before the end of the regular season. That was a big loss for them. That was like that guy's like a then he was a 37 goal scorer last year. Yeah. He's important. I, I'd say he's I, he's an extremely valuable player. Absolutely. 
I mean, um, and you take a guy like that, your leading goal scorer off your team with it's with two weeks to go. It's not. It's like okay, well, all hands on deck. Teravainen goes out what in game one or game two. I think it significantly impacts the team. I do. Uh, you know, it's again. I don't think we're good enough to win a cup. I think Stefan said the only way we could is if a team gets hot. It's happened before. Again, like if you're going to seal a business deal, you don't say, "Hey, what's the likelihood that we're going to sign Mister Smith to go ahead and to use our contracting company?" You don't say, "Well, if things go right, and you know, if he likes the way I smile at him, and he likes the color of our company, I think maybe we're going to seal that business." That's not. You don't feel confident going into a deal like that. Um, Rick Roma says if the tar takes a PTO, his agent should be fired. He's a dud in the playoffs, but he should at least be able to get a one year deal. Yeah, Rick, I, I think that he, um, you know, Thomas Tatar is going to sign a contract. I don't see him signing a PTO, and that's why I kind of kind of made to clarify that too with Stefan. But Tatar is an excellent defensive forward. Now, could you imagine? Remember, they asked the question there to Cal Clutterbuck at the end of last year. You know, are you going to contemplate retiring? And he answered in that snide response back. You know, I would know before you would, or something like that. Do you remember he kind of got snippy with that grumpy at the end of the year? He's gonna play. He'll play. Yes, that's my point. He's going to play this year. I, I don't have a problem with Cal Clutterbuck playing. It's just he can't stay healthy anymore. The the reason I'm bringing that up is because if he's playing, I don't see us going after and targeting Thomas Sitar. I think Hudson Fashing deserves a spot. I don't see there's a way that. Oliver Wallstrom doesn't get a spot out of camp. And it's really, you're fighting over one spot. So you would have, if, if Kyle Clutterbuck's healthy, you'd have, if you sign Thomas Tatar in the scenario, or because he's quiet, he hasn't signed anywhere. So that's why a lot of people are starting to speculate, possibly they're, the Islanders. They're all the same guy. It doesn't matter. They're all the same guy. The Gauthier, even him coming in, they're all the same guy. We have a glut of bottom six guys. It doesn't matter. You could throw them all in a hat and just pull out six. It's not going to matter. I'm not going to say that about Pajot. But, you know, I mean, I guess Palmieri will play on the, uh, on the second line this year. And it's like, okay, but everybody else except for Pajot, just throw their names in a hat and pull out, pull out five other guys. Casey's going to play when healthy. But the wingers, they're all interchangeable, every single one of them. We would agree, though. That the reason I was bringing it up and kind of painting the picture, if that were the case, you've got Tom Sitar, Hudson Fashing, and Simon Holmstrom all fighting over the third line left wing spot. I just don't, and I just don't see that being the the situation in the case. Um, so you know, again, unless Cal Clutterbuck is not playing and we don't know about that yet, I'd say that we probably are not going to sign Tom Sitar. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, Rob G says here, hello, TJ and Grumpy. It's it's Islanders fan Rob G. Lost the pitcher the right while, but it's still me, big time fan. Can't wait for the Islanders season to start kicking off and Islanders start kicking butt. Great show. We got a whole bunch of people there saying great show, great guests. So obviously very, very appreciative of all the positive comments there. And, and speaking about Stefan, we love having him on. He's he's great wealth and great resource there, knowledge too. Um, Coach Time B said, COVID may be coming back. Does it mean a Final Four again? <laughs> Maybe lose out there uh, trying to push for COVID. I don't know. Uh, Christopher C said, Grumpy, what makes you think that we won't beat the Devils? We've owned them for centuries. Mm, I thought we were going to beat the Devils last year to start the season. I thought we were going to be better than Devils. And guess what? The Devils, all their young guys grew up. And the Devils, I, I don't, even if the Devils take, I mean, they had what? They were third. What were they in the league? I think they were like fourth in the league in points. You think the Devils are taking a step back? I don't. Do you, TJ? 
I think the Devils will take maybe a step back in their production in the regular season. We've talked about this. I could see them doing that. I think their postseason performance will be better this year than last year. We're not beating the Devils. Sure. We're not beating the Devils. They're too fast for us. Again, teams with speed and who are aggressive on the forecheck, that's, that's like our kryptonite. That has not changed in the last five years. The teams that can skate and are aggressive on the forecheck are death to the New York Islanders. I agree. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I, and our, we have, of those teams, including Carolina, we have the best goalie. We do. But you know what? They're best. They're better everywhere else. Carolina, except for goalie, there's not one, there was not one player on the roster in their assigned location that I would take an Islander over a Carolina hurricane. Not one. Not a one. Mm. I would take every single Carolina defenseman over our defenseman. Every single one. Their defense is really freaking good. I like Noah Dobson, so you're not going to see me saying that. Noah, okay. Noah Dobson on Carolina is a he's a bottom pairing guy. Noah Dobson on Carolina produces a lot more. I think you're wrong. I think Noah Dobson, if he's allowed to, okay, they have a heavy puck possession offensive offense. They have a heavy. A heavy puck possession. They've got great outlet passes. They're great in the rush. I think you'd see point production for Noah Dobson would be like 65, 70 points a year if he played for Carolina. He's already on a 50-point clip playing the turtle shell offense that we play. You think playing for Carolina where they fire the puck a shit ton of times on that to where they lead fast breaks going the other direction, you don't think he'll put up more points? All I'm saying is I would take all of Carolina's defensemen over any of the one on the Islanders, anyone. Okay. You and I just disagree. That's fine. Um, Synergy HD says UBS is a scam. How do we spend a billion dollars on that? The fucking Cowboys stadium is 0.1 billion. So a hundred million dollars more. That's it. All the other arenas don't come close to half a billion. I think it's a lot to do with the real estate. Perhaps too is probably the reason why. Um, as to why it was so damn expensive, uh, UBS Arena. For, I've never been, so it's really tough for me to comment on how grandiose it looks on the inside, what what all the structure went into it. It's really tough for me to comment, but um, I, I don't know. You know, that's what Malkin is, right? He develops property, does that for a living, and and happened to pick up a hockey team along the way. So we'll see how that goes. The property brothers at its finest. Um, David Chow McDonald says. Lose channeling his inner L. Ron Hubbard and dosing everyone with LSD. There you go. Um, we could have got a King's Ransom for his JT, says Stro FP Roots. We could have, we could have, but uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Garth was right, maybe it had something to do with ownership, maybe, maybe it was all, all you know, complete failure on Garth Snow's side. You know, they both say different things. Rob G says here. Wouldn't it be nice if Andersley had a 40-goal season? He did once. Other than that, he's never scored more than 28. <laughs> I mean, I so tell me, was that a career year for him? Is he always about a 28-goal scorer? I mean, that's I what you so. could say, right? He's a 20, you know, 25 to 28-goal scorer. That's what he is. One year, thought, he had 40. I thought you were about to say, oh, man, he said – you know, wouldn't it be nice? Yes, but you need to wake up from your dreams. I mean, like the likelihood, the possibility of Anders Lee scoring 
40 goals this year is slightly above the chances of the Islanders winning a Stanley Cup. Both very low. Anything is possible. What's but what's probable? I guess I, I like to look at probabilities, not oh well yeah well somebody Brady Anderson hit 50 home runs one year for the Baltimore Orioles. You know what? I don't think he hit more than 12 in any season the rest of his career. So was he a 50 home run guy or is he a 12 home run guy? All right. Some sometimes you just get lucky like that. Yeah. Anderson uh, Andersley is not getting lucky in his age 33 year old season and scoring 40 goals. No. Brian Jenny says here, Tatar would not change a thing. This team is destined for mediocrity. Long, boring, uneventful season ahead. I I I agree. I just I don't see. I just don't understand why everyone's saying, yep, the Islanders, they're gonna make the playoffs. You know, they could contend, you know, for a top two spot in the division. I just based on what? Based on what? The last 30 games after the deadline, when they played 67% of their games were against teams that didn't make the playoffs. I don't know. I mean, Pierre Engvall. Are you going to believe that Pierre Engvall is the Pierre Engvall of the last 18 games of the regular season when he had nine points? Is that the guy he's going to be? Or is he going to be the guy that he's been his whole career? David, David Sean McDonald says here, Tatar is a better left winger than anybody at, uh, on the roster at the position. I mean, think about it, yeah. right? What you're looking at left wing option-wise is Anders Lee, Matt Martin. You're looking at Hudson Fashing if he's there playing. Wallstrom. And then you're looking at, no, Pierre Engvall. Wallstrom's a right wing. Okay. The, three, the four left wingers, and I'll list them again for you, Grumpy. Anders Lee, Pierre Engvall, Hudson Fashing. Matt Martin. What about Holmstrom? He plays both. He's a healthy scratch. Okay. Well, I believe he is too. Healthy scratch. Yeah, he's probably he's probably actually if he played for the Islanders, he'd probably be the first line left wing. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, David. David might actually have a point there because our left wings are so unbelievably shitty. Think about that. Our left wing depth chart: Anders Lee, 31. How old is he? 32 years old. 33. What is? How old is he? I believe he's 33. 33-year-old Anders Lee, who is a shell of what he used to be. Pierre Engvall, who had a good second half of the season after he was traded. Did he just catch lightning in a bottle? We'll find out. Then you've got Hudson Fashing, been a career, you know, AHL slash NHL tweener, who finally found a little bit of mixture last year. And Matt Martin. They actually have him listed as a right-wing Hudson Fashing. Okay, he played some left-wing. So here's the thing. If Oliver Wallstrom is playing, He's on the left wing on that third line, and Wallstrom's playing the right wing. Okay. Yeah, it's just how it is. Uh, Robert Marshall says here, the ping pong champ has not been the same since the bubble, talking about Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Yeah, well. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I thought he was a little bit better at the tail end last year, but he's, he's not the same guy. Again, playing that style of hockey for a smaller player, they don't last long. They just don't last long. It's hard. It's hard and physical and grinding. Coach Tommy B. Grumpy. Why hasn't Lou invited TJ and the grumpy old man to a game in the suite? He doesn't like us. Truth is a painful thing. Uh, Thomas Reese, wait, TJ, you've never been to UBS? No, I've not. Neither myself or grumpy have been to UBS Arena. 
Nope. Uh, just haven't done it. Yeah. Good evening. UBS is really, really nice. Uh, doesn't mean that it's a pawn. Doesn't it mean isn't that... a pawn for ownership. Yep. Yeah. I was about to say, it's definitely a pawn for ownership. You know, the more and more I hear, the more and more it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just the property brothers. It's a land grab. That's all it is. Um, Brian Jennings says here, yeah, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, wouldn't it be nice if I had a, tw oh, a 12 inch long? Oh, look at you, Brian. Oh, good gracious. Yeah. But probably, but here's the thing maybe on a good day and, you know, there's some type of wind tunnel, maybe that works for you, Brian. But, you know, most times, it's probably not going to be like that. If you measure from your belly button, who knows? Maybe that works too. Uh, Frank says, leg. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Frank says here, but didn't the Devils add a big time scorer from the Flames or someone? They added Tyler. Did they add Tyler Toffoli? Yeah, I think they did. I can let you know in about two seconds. Oh, okay, you you okay? Why don't you talk a little bit about the Devils as I pull that up? I'll pull it up a lot quicker than you yeah. can. Okay, they signed Timo Meyer to a long term extension. He gave them nothing <sighs> last year after the deadline. Nothing. So we, we expect we expect him to be better. It was Tyler Toffoli. Yes. Okay. I mean, so they, the, yeah, devils, they, the Devils are in good shape. They really are. Yep. I, I was about to say, you know, they lost guys like Severson. Sure. Um, I, I'll just tell you this. I think that they play a modern NHL style game. Yep. That's problematic. Their team at, okay, guys like Hughes are not going to get worse. Guys like Heeshear aren't getting worse. Those are guys that are on the rise. Those are young players that you expect big things out of. Guys like Dougie Hamilton are still fantastic. You expect that Devils team, right? Nemec or Nemich. What do you Nemec, what, you know? What, what do you expect from him, right? Um, I mean, he was the second pick in the draft what two years ago. I figure he's just going to step right in, right? He's certainly more talented than Severson was. Is he going to give you? I mean, I never thought Severson was great. I just I did. I didn't think he was great one good year but i didn't think he was great defensively nemec is going to i mean he has way more upside way more upside devils, yeah. the devils tom fitzgerald has done a great job as their general manager they pulled the trigger to get um uh, meyer and you know what they i don't think they have a goaltender i think that's eventually what's going to stop them but regular season who's what makes you think they're not going to be just as good, if not better, next year? Sin G also says here, um, I really wanted to spring. I really wanted uh, Sprung, I think it was, or Milano. I really wanted to spring for Milano. Okay, it says or. So I thought Sprung, like Daniel Sprung. But I really wanted to spring for Milano. Um, why the F did they not sign Milano last year when he was a restricted free agent last year? Um, he had a productive year with the Capitals on an $800,000 contract. Yep, that's right. We talked about we, That was the rumor. Sonny Milano was a guy that was going to go to the Islanders. He's from Long Island. He hadn't been signed. Had the concussion issues there in Anaheim. He's going to be a guy that maybe we look to sign. Never happened. Washington took a flyer on him. He wound up panning out absolutely. It's going. The reason is because they have their spots are already cemented in, and that's the case this year too. I don't think we're signing Thomas Tatar. I just don't see it. Why would they bring? Then someone else is going to have to sit. He does, yep. it doesn't make any moves in the offseason, just doesn't do it. 
it just shows you that you don't need to sign back every you don't need to sign Casey to a six-year deal. You don't need to sign guys like Matt Martin to four-year contracts. You don't need to sign Cal Clutterbuck when he's finished and washed to another two-year extension. You don't need to sign guys on your bottom two lines to these huge contract extensions because there will always be a guy like a Thomas Sitar. There will always be a Hudson fashion. There are always guys that you can find at the bargain bin that give you a whole hell of a lot for a vet minimum contract, and you don't have to piss away two and a half or two million or maybe sometimes even three million on a guy like that it just doesn't make sense the rangers got, does it though the rangers got a first or second line winger for eight hundred thousand. in blake wheeler that's right and tell me what surprise you if jonathan quick has a bounce back year this year getting limited think, games oh i think he's gonna be i think he's gonna be playing a hell of a season he was he was asked to be the starter there for the kings i, I could you Realistically, what do you think? Twenty-five tops, thirty games for Jonathan Quick this year. If if Shosturkin stays healthy, and tell me that he tell me he's not going to be better being fresh. Now here's the thing: is he the Stanley Cup goaltender of the past? No, he's not. Yep. But as a backup, you could do a lot worse than Jonathan Quick. I think twenty-five games, thirty games. That's great. I, I mean, the Rangers are the one team in the division where you can say, "All right." Their goaltending is just as good as ours. I mean, that's the only team. Was it Gosses Fair who we had on a PTO? Who is it that we had on a PTO a year ago or two years ago? The defenseman. Was it Shane Gosses Fair, Grump? No. Um, not Spiza. Spiza was, was like five many years ago. He was a um, was it Gustafson? No. Was, was Gustafson on a PTO and we let him go? Last year, which Gustafson? There's a lot of Gustafson. The guy who wound up going to uh, did he go to Chicago? Or maybe he went to Washington. I don't know. I was Gustafson was a guy who we signed to a PTO. He didn't play any defense. He was only offense. Phil loved him. Phil loved him. Okay, Eric Gustafson. There it is. Eric Gustafson was the one we went ahead and did with PTO. I don't know why I thought it was there as Gustafson. And then we let him go, and he wound up signing for somebody else and was productive, but he still doesn't play any defense. Okay. Still wouldn't have fit with our system and what we try to do. Okay. Makes sense. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't Gustafson and I wasn't losing my damn mind. Um, let's see here. Um, okay. Um, Joseph, just you guys still haven't told us your beef with Natalie or just curious. Um, they tried to get our show canceled. I mean, I, like, it's just all, that simple. It wasn't Matt O'Leary. It was the other clown. Yeah, Matt. We never talked to Matt. It was the other guy. The co-host, whoever it was, they tried to get us canceled because we joked around about their show like a few times. We joked around about their show, just kind of all in jokes. You know, our show. We don't say anything mean or maliciously. It was just all in jokes and jest. And uh, they just tried to get us canceled. Oh, yeah, right. Like the Hockey Podcast Network. Oh, take them off. Do this. And I... Not gonna change what we do. Simple. They're uh, dead to me. They're dead to me. Yeah, but that was that was what it was. That was what I, I think the fracturing was. It's like it's like um it's like uh, all water in the bridge. I couldn't tell you the last time. I don't think about them. Don't don't bring it up. But it's just like that's what happened on that situation. Um, David Sean McDonald says here Lee scores twenty five plus goals a year. Uh, they're the most meaningless and non factor type of goals as well. And I will say, you know. Stefan mentioned that, you know, if uh, Horvat scores 50 goals a year for three years, you could, even if they don't win, that's going to look as a failure. Not true. If you're scoring 50 goals a year, you're earning your money. 
If you come in and you score 25 goals a year, making eight and a half million, you're not. It's just that plain and simple. Mm. Um, let's see here. Oh God, just about as good as the odds of of Lee getting 40 goals is to read the whole comment. Oh shit. <laughs> I you know, I don't read the whole comment clean, that's for certain. Um oh God. I'm trying to get here to see a few more comments. We're trying to run a little bit more of an abridged comment section where if they're if they're going to be comments that add a laughter factor or they're going to have a question that poses additional conversation, those are the ones that we want to make sure we can highlight. You know, going into this year, we probably won't be able to have maybe three, three and a half hour long podcast. You know, we're doing four of those a week. It's just really tough. So we won't be able to do it at the same length. So we're still trying to make sure that we could read comments, get the voice of the people while making sure that it also adds production value and, and, and enjoy there for people who are there. So you feel like your voice is heard and also to add for the listeners after the fact, something that would be, you know, it's like a, it's a good taste on their palate there. Joseph C says Luke Hughes in Simon Nemec are going to be great to add to a pretty loaded roster. The only problem is their goaltender situation. Now that's one thing I could see them addressing at the deadline, right? We talk about Connor Huddlebuck. Could you not see them making a move after Connor Hullabuck's on the last year of his contract? You couldn't see them at the deadline, maybe adding a guy like that to their team. I don't want to. If I'm if I'm the Devils, I don't want to wait to the deadline to get my goalie. Let's say they add him a little bit earlier. Well, I'm fine with that, but I I mean, you got to get. I mean, you know, as Bo Horvat says, it's tough. You know, you got to get. You got to have time to acclimate. I just think for a goaltender. Uh, you know, every player has to have a system, but you have to have communication with your defenseman. Sure. And I think that takes a little bit of time. I do. I think if you're, you know, if you're a center, you know, it's okay. You know, we're doing this work on our practice. I think it's more difficult for a goaltender to come in and necessarily shine or work with the defense. I, if I'm the devils, I would have done that. In the, I would have, that's a move I would have made already. Uh, Robert Marshall says, seeing that a little spent more on the bottom six than the top six for a few years. It, yeah, we had one of the most, the third line was one of the most expensive third lines in all of hockey. We've always gone ahead and picked that as, as being an issue for certain. That's how, that's how you get in trouble, in cap trouble, when you start overpaying your bottom six. Because that means you don't have money for your top six, and that means that your top six aren't that good, like our team. I mean, yeah. that's, just, that's just the way it is. Oh, Sorokin will win. I don't know. The Vesna. He'll win Vesna the Vesna trophy year. this year. Maybe. I mean, I thought he was great last year. Uh, here's the thing. Olmark won last year. His numbers were phenomenal. Um, are they going to be as good next year? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, you don't think Olmark will put up numbers like he did last year, do you? No. Absolutely One no. goals against? The the neither neither will Swayman. The Boston won't be as good. Boston don't expect people are expecting Boston to fall off freaking planet Earth. You know what? Taper your expectations. Things are never as good as you think, and they're never as bad as you think. So I don't think things are as bad as people are maybe thinking they could be for Boston. Could they be bad? Sure. Are they going to be as bad? No, because they still have Charlie McAvoy. They still have Brad Marshall. They're still a hell. Of, they still have Jake DeBrus. They still have a hell of a team. The they ice. lost. They lost Bergeron and Krejci. Those are big losses. But I'm going to tell you Dude. what: Bergeron was not the same player last year. Had he been as he'd been in previous years, he was not as productive. And Krejci, same thing there. And they lost Taylor Hall. Yeah, 
But you know what? They'll be. I mean, I here's the thing: Are they going to have 135 points? Nope. Are they going to have 100? Yeah. Their defense is better now. Yeah. I, I I don't think Boston is a threat to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think they're. I think that's Toronto's division. I think Toronto's going to win that division with Florida right on their heels and Tampa, and then I think Boston, Boston and Tampa are going to be fighting three and four. JP says, that's crazy. Sorry to hear about that. Ridiculous juvenile nonsense. Please, TJ and Grumpy, never become that self-important as the others in the New York Islanders podcast sphere. Yeah, we've had, we've had a lot of those people like that who do not want to associate with us who were supposed to do collaborations that canceled at the last minute because of stuff like that. But yeah, we're not, we don't give a shit. I mean, you could disagree with us and yell and scream and shout. It doesn't matter. You know, I've never dislike any of the people we love everybody that's on the podcast we absolutely love mute if we don't agree on anything that we talk about on the show um, they're snowflakes all those other people are snowflakes pussies is what i like to call them soon you said what do you think um we could have got for nelson at the deadline if we retained 50 percent along with expiring deals if we trade him away why would uh, you, why, you, you shouldn't have to, for brock nelson you wouldn't have to take any contract back or any cap back Absolutely not. I mean, you could have got two ones for him. He would have been, tell me a team like Colorado couldn't have used him last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I to me, you should have moved him. You should move him after next year on when he's on an expiring deal. You know what's going to happen if the old man is still here? He's going to sign Brock Nelson yeah. back to a long-term extension. Gotcha. Grumpy, we got a few comments here. We're going to try to go ahead and get through. I want to cover a few more here. HP Carlos just saying, hey there from Portugal. Thanks so much there, uh, HP, for tuning in. Um, we've got here uh, Jack saying, I really think that bringing back the same shitty assistant coaches will virtually will be the same team is just stupid. Do, the question, the reason I'm bringing this up, do you think, I talked about the, the zebra and the stripes you can't change. Do you think if McLean's back, do you expect to have a different approach on the power play or the same shit we saw last year? If you don't have a new assistant coach now, what makes you think? I mean, training camp opens. Think, good. Training camp opens up in two weeks. Maybe they're keeping hush about it. That's the only thing I can imagine. Maybe they went internal hire. Maybe Zach Parise is going to run the power play, Grumpy. Maybe. We'll an assistant Who knows what's going to happen? I'm just saying if they don't, it looks like they're not going to. Do you expect claim to have a different approach on a power play this year or do you th you expect no. the same approach same old same old same old okay gotcha that's not good for us i'll tell you that joseph c said hellebuck seems bound for jersey as much as i hate to admit it three all world goaltenders 30 miles apart from each other yeah could you imagine if hellebuck sorokin shesterkin all in that close area that'd be something you talk that about our division becomes a whole hell of a lot tougher too if Heddlebuck gets moved to to the Devils because they've got prospects they can trade they've got young players they could trade they've got draft picks they can trade yep. what happens when you get a lot of those draft picks and you draft the right people you can there trade you those away to a team because Heddlebuck's on an expiring deal you trade your first round draft pick or younger talents when you're close that's when you do it not to scrape into the playoffs you do it when you're close that's when you go all chips in, push everything in. Rick Roma says here, TJ's all uh, TJ's right there. Um, I've never thought the Bruins were as good as they they played last season, um, and they're not as bad as people think this year. Yeah, I think they're somewhere in the middle. People think that there's no way they're going to make the postseason. I'm like, don't write them off yet. 
I still think that they have a chance, a very, very strong chance that they make the postseason. They could be 15 games worse than they won last year and still make playoffs. Yep, absolutely here. Um, Okay, let's see here. Trying to find a few more. Podcaster on podcaster violences. Rick Roman, not cool. Yeah, that's it. Um, God almighty. (laughs) I'm reading some of these comments there, Grumpy. I'll let you read this one. You'll like to read this one, Grumpy. Grumpy old man going old school pussies, not snowflakes. Yes. Yeah, look at you go there, Grumpy. Uh, Frank says here, the Devils are so loaded. They were built after the, the hurricane. Lou Ron Hubbard destroyed them. Um, yep. And uh, <laughs> after, I'm sorry. They rebuilt the hurricane. Lou Ron Hubbard destroyed them. Not the hurricanes. I'm sorry. Hurricane Lou, Lou Ron Hubbard destroyed them. How long did it take them to recover? Ten years? I think at least yep. seven, right? Ten. Yeah. Yep, Joseph C says, "Yeah, Grumpy's 100 right. That would, uh, you know, that's, that's when you, when you make, make a big move, move when you're true Stanley Cup contenders. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Sorokin could pitch a shutout and still miss the Vesna. He's an Islander. Mm. Wouldn't that be just sad? What do you think about the rumor, Jack? We talked about this earlier. Um, probably not the case. You've got a situation where you've got Hudson Fashing, you've got Simon Holmstrom, you've got Oliver Wallstrom. If you bring back Tatar, let's assume that." Parise is not coming back. I just don't think there's enough. There's not enough positions and roster spots available, unfortunately. But Grumpy, let's let's wrap things up here on uh, on this note. I will say this: there will be no show this Saturday, probably next Wednesday. So we'll probably go two shows without. I think we might be able to do one the Saturday after. I'm not sure. I think I'll be back out of um, town again, TJ. Yeah, I'm visiting you at MF. That's right. I'll be out of town. I'll be with the grumpy old man. So, yeah, we won't have a show when I'm visiting the grumpy old man. Um, there will be no show this Saturday or next Wednesday, but hopefully the Saturday proceeding. So, we're thinking maybe on the September the 16th. I'm hoping. I think it's Rosh Hashanah, but hopefully the 16th we'll have a show. Um, okay. don't hold me to it. I think we get back on the 16th early in the day, so maybe we can do something in the evening time. Who knows? But, uh, but Grumpy, what do you want to say before we wrap things up here today? I want to say love and laughter to everyone who listens and even those who don't. From TJ the Grumpy Old Man, listen to the TJ and Grumpy Old Man show, show tomorrow with Sun X. It's our NFL kickoff show, and hey, we're ready to go. Ah, yes, that's right. Drew says, is there going to be a TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show tomorrow? Absolutely, there will be a TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show tomorrow. We'll be going live. I mean, that's going to be right there in the NFL game, buddy. I got my boy, Travis Kelsey. Better be healthy and ready to play. I'll tell you that much, Grumpy Old Man. No, I'm ready not, to, I'm ready for my team to kiss. No, he's not out. I'm ready for my team no. to kick the whoever I'm playing's ass. That's all I'm going to say. So, that being said, there will be a TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show tomorrow. How can you find the TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show? Grumpy, what is TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show? Why do listeners of this show need to listen to the TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show? Why, Grumpy? Let us know why. Because I'm on it. Pretty much that's the reason. And Sun X is now going to be in charge of what time we start the show. So I think tomorrow we'll start at 9 o'clock on time, yeah. 9 p.m. The TJ and Grumpy Old Man Show, Grumpy could not cap, you could, could not, he could not recap what we are. It's a twice a week all sports podcast that happens Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We talk anything and everything sports. We talk NHL, NFL, college athletics. We talk college football. We talk world soccer, you know, world football. We talk 
baseball. We talk basketball, anything and everything sports on that show. Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, you could find the link to the TJ and the Grumpy Old Man show in the description below or as a featured page on our YouTube channel. So you could scroll down and say, oh, look, here is the Islanders Never Say Die podcast here. We scroll down a little bit. How come we don't is. have a thousand Man show? How come we don't have a thousand subscribers to our show yet? It's because Grumpy, the the media cartel is trying to keep us down. Grumpy, that's that it. Believe. That I believe. My little brownie, this is a great way to end it. Goddamn NFL chatter until hockey starts. Such pain for me. That's right, <laughs> my little brownie. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, so we'll we'll try we'll try to sprinkle in a lot of the things there. Um, we have so many different podcasts to listen to as an Islander fan. I wonder which one of those have a beef. I think I know. Oh, God. Uh, but thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for the kind words about the great show. That's right. Hit the thumbs up if you've enjoyed the content. Hit thumbs up. Apparently, that always helps the algorithm. Subscribe on YouTube. You know the deal. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, etc. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the show. We'll be live with you guys tomorrow at what time, Grumpy? Nine o'clock on the freaking button tomorrow. Nine o'clock on the button, Grumpy says. On the button, Sun X. Sun X is good. And here's the thing. You want to know who won't be ready? The guy right over here next to me. He won't be ready. But Sun X and I will be ready. Sun X, as long as Sun X knows how to start the show, it'll start on time. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You know, that's, that's wishful thinking, Grumpy old man. But thank you so much, everybody, for watching the show. We'll be with you guys here live. Tomorrow, TJ and the Grumpy Man, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks so much, Grumpy, again, as always. My pleasure.